Hello, Greg. How are you? Hey, Ben. Doing well. How are you today? Um, I'm very well. I'm very happy to be here with you, of course. And thank you for joining. It's much appreciated. Yeah, I'm still uh, bopping along a little bit to that intro music. <laughs> Love it. I do the same myself. I kind of kind of do the bits and pieces where the intro music's playing, but I still kind of feel myself like bouncing around a little bit and, and doing the little whistle part, you know? Doing oh, the whistle. I, I cannot whistle. I, yeah. I would show you, but it's impossible to demo something you can't do. <laughs> I quite often have to demo things that I can barely do. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I think, I think that's the skill or the meta skill that you have to develop in, in any tech role is to dance right up to the line of things where you have no idea what's going on on the other yeah. side. Yeah. But if you stop right before that line, mm. people believe you can do anything. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think one of the first things I really learned when I started doing, I don't like do like talks and stuff that often, not as much as I'd like to do. Um, but just realizing that it's the expectation that things will go wrong and people people just if it does go wrong like not to stress because everyone's like yeah it's live it's gonna go wrong like don't worry mm -hmm. about it because i used yeah. to do this part where i was just kind of always trying to like not pretend like pretend that something hadn't gone wrong and just kind of like blag my way through it but i just let say oh that wasn't supposed to happen let's try and <laughs> try and fix it you know yeah i think i think another part of it though is just recalling to people if they seem to be judging you, recall to them how much they struggle whenever a Teams meeting starts or how often someone either is talking while on mute or forgets to mute yeah. and you get to hear their their personal conversations. Everyone has that struggle yeah. in this day and age. Yeah, that's true. And it's quite funny to me sometimes that you know, there's, I, of course, do myself. I'll be talking and I'm on mute because I've been whatever, I'm on mute. And it's... The, the frequency of that, you actually forget. You think, oh, by now we're so used to, you know, being teams meetings and working remote. It should be second nature now just to know to unmute yourself. Like, no. Like, <laughs> like really, every <laughs> single conversation happens. Yeah. Anyway, before we start talking, do you want to, like, give yourself a, a quick introduction, mate? Is, is yeah, definitely. So uh, my name is Greg. I go by Greggy B in a lot of online places, uh, including in the YouTube chat here. And uh, I've been doing Power BI and data analytics for pretty much my entire career. I am very lucky this year to be celebrating my decade of DAX. I started started using and writing DAX sometime in the summer of 2013, wow. so 10 years. And I always get excited when I get to tell people that I've been using, I've practically been using Power BI for longer than Power BI has been a product. <laughs> That's always, always a, a fun little fact. But I've been uh, working in the Microsoft space for pretty much my whole career. Okay. I did spend uh, a year and a half on the dark side with AWS, but <laughs> I've, I've recently come back into the fold and I'm working on Power BI operations and monitoring and everything about observing and deploying and using Power BI at any scale. That sounds really cool. Very fun. Is it a compliment or an insult if someone were to say you're like the third best uh, Italian DAX practitioner, would that be? Is that is that okay? Because yeah. number three, number three is not bad, right? I mean, come on, it's it's on the podium, and yeah, it's, exactly. If you consider who's one and two, yeah. Well, you know, I, I might disagree with who's one and two. <laughs> That's fair, right? <laughs> An Italian Dax off that would be really cool to see. Actually, I would watch that. Yeah, I I know that they do an Excel. It's not Excel Olympics, but there is competitive Excel. And yeah, it was even on right. ESPN this year. So I think we could get some competitive DAX. I would love to see that. Actually, because that's right, because um, Oz does the um, the commentary or something. Oz DeSilly, I think he does the commentary for this um, Excel 
Olympics, whatever you uh, we ever want to call it. That, mm-hmm. that, that's actually a good idea. It'd be great for that. Also, this decade of DAX that you mentioned as well, that would be like it would be like a good uh, like kickoff for it. It's a, it's been a decade of my DAX, and let's yeah. kind of have a, a competition to celebrate that. I wouldn't oh. enter, of course, because I would definitely come <laughs> like last, but I would watch it for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm just excited that there will be more and more people celebrating their decade of DAX as we move forward. Power BI is such a, a young community and such a young tool hmm. that it's it's interesting to watch it mature over time hmm. because we don't have the decades of experience hmm. that other software domains have. Absolutely. The most experience you can have is about 10 years if you count Power Pivot stuff. Yeah, that's a fair point. And actually, I caught myself the other day, I was thinking, because I, you know, when people talk about like Power BI experience, I, you just like give it an in years, because that's just makes sense. And now mm-hmm. I just realized that it's actually been quite a while. Because I, I mean, okay, it was for the sake of argument, say 2017, because it's the end of 2016. So, so I do some Power BI in 2017, and that's that's a, a decent amount of time now. It's not like it's not like a couple of years. Mm-hmm. In, in my head, it's still a couple of years, you know, because in my head, I'm still 25 as well. But of course, yeah. Right. Well, we also hit the the time warp in 2020, where it seemed like two years just didn't happen. So if I think last year, I still think it's 2019. Yeah, that's fair. We should just count that for everything, like including our age and stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely do, do that way. Cool. Um, so yeah, the um, you know, you, you're a, you said you worked for AWS for a year and a half, two years? Yeah, uh, during, during those lost years. So it feels ah, like okay. I wasn't even there. Uh, but I started in 2020 and ended uh, toward the end of 2021. Okay. Spent some time uh, in their consulting services. Mm. And uh, interestingly, still got to work on Power BI in that time. Of course, what else? It was it was just from the it was just dragging you back that way all the time, you know. Yeah. Was it a conscious choice to move there, or did it just like a, a natural progression and to come back? Was it? Uh... So I had I followed a manager there. To be honest, uh, he was okay. the first manager who hired me into a consulting role mm. uh, at a company called at the time GNet Group, and mm. that's. He was a, a superb manager. His name's uh, Nilesh Raheja. Yeah. And he moved to AWS and uh, gave me a strong recommendation, uh, like recommended AWS to me, um, and also put my name in as a, a recommendation to their recruiting team. Okay. So I joined up, and it was uh, everything that you might expect from Amazon's reputation, which I will state as neither negative or nor positive, <laughs> but it was not for me. OK, fair enough. I have, of course, no experience, so I'm just gonna. I'll leave that as as neutral as as you posed it there, <laughs> and maybe we, we should do like a. It's impossible to say. Oh, we, could, we should do like like a, a connect live, like like after hours where you actually tell the truth about certain things, but it would still be live, so it would make no sense, you know. So yeah, well, that's we, I think what, how it is. <laughs> I think that's what conferences are for. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah. So we'll try. I'll try to locate you at a conference at some point. Exactly <laughs> right, Bernard. Very diplomatic. Very diplomatic. We'll give you a certification in, in diplomacy on that one. There. Well, it, it's not me trying to be diplomatic. It's just the truth. It, okay. it was neither a positive or negative experience. It mm. was simply something that was not a good fit for me, but I can see mm. how it's a good fit for others. Yeah, for sure. And it's also, it's also or, or what Bernard is saying about masochists. <laughs> That's very possible. Yeah, <laughs> it's not for me. Maybe it's masochist. I like it. Um, no, no. But when you when you get into a role and it's okay, but you kind of recognize that the, the fit it doesn't work very well, you give it a shot, and then it's good to recognize that just, that's, it is what it is. I had mm-hmm. something similar ish when I was working. Um, well, I don't know, probably like 
I don't know, it doesn't matter how many, three, four years ago, say, no longer than that, five years ago. And I just, I went to a department that was primarily working with like um, RPA. And um, I was still very much on the Power BI side, um, but the department just wasn't the kind of like a good fit for the role of what I wanted to do. So I worked there for like, and like seven months, then I just moved back to my previous department because mm-hmm. you try it, it doesn't work out. And it's nice to kind of have that experience of working with different tools and doing different things. But I don't know, of course, my heart just belongs to Power BI, right? <laughs> but I, I think you make a very good point there. It's it's very easy to get sucked into the Power BI world and mm. become a little bit myopic and close-minded about what other technological solutions there are out there. And I've, I've certainly found myself on both sides of that argument, Hmm. either saying, yeah, we should just do this in Power BI because it's the tool to hand, or being the person who's saying, why would you ever try to force Power BI to do that when you can do it in, you know, uh, know, one command line and just schedule that uh, as a a cron job or something like that. So it's, I I find myself on both sides at different times. I think for me, it's been a a progression to go through those different um, stages when I was probably in my, I don't know, say, fourth, the three, four years with, with Power BI, I got to this point where I was like, yes, everything must be Power BI, Power BI, every single thing, because we can make it do that, whether or not mm-hmm. it was a good idea to, to do it. And, but then you kind of, not intentionally, but kind of just recognizing at the point, okay, we can do those things, but, and it did work, but also it was a freaking nightmare to, to get there. And there's this tool that's like right here that does it with like one click. So like, why are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you have to. I think it's good to go through that phase where you're so focused on one thing, because it helps you experiment and helps you kind of like do weird hacks and stuff. Exactly, um, Anthony, um, right tool for the job. And I'm, I'm, say, I'm going to say in like 25 sentences instead of one because that's just what I do. Um, but um, yeah, once you've kind of gone through that process, it's like as, as Anthony said, you say, okay, now what's the right tool for the job, and let's let's just do it that way. Um, but it's 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 a fun little uh, route to go down, I think, anyway. Yeah, I I do like pushing things well past where they... Hmm. I like pushing solutions well past where they should end as a learning opportunity. Hmm. But it's really important, I think, to recognize when you're doing something to find limits versus if you're doing something because you're saying that's the right way to do yeah. it. Yeah. I remember yeah. one project I was on, uh, with that same manager, Nilesh, and I was adamant that we needed to upgrade our SQL Server installation mm-hmm. or else this project would just fail. And I don't even remember at this point what feature it was that I thought we needed to be able to make this thing successful. And the, the client we were working with, the, uh, an upgrade would take months. Uh, mm. And so he pushed back on me and said, you know, we we quoted this client as a, a one-month engagement. If you say we need this upgrade, it's going to take at least three months before their team gets around to installing the latest version of SQL Server. Mm. That's its own problem, mm. but that was our reality. And so I was adamant that we needed this upgrade, and he was adamant that we need to deliver the thing we said we would. <laughs> and it's it's useful to be pushed at the right times and in mm-hmm. the right ways to find better solutions. And we did something that was entirely outside of SQL Server mm-hmm. uh, to be able to get to that functionality that we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended up being a lot easier to do something in Power Pivot because the file was local and the copies were separate yeah. than to do something in Tabular where the model was shared. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it became a, just a question of the right tool for the job. And in that case, it was moving back to Excel. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because no matter what happens, we'll always have Excel to fall back onto, right? <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Like 100 years from now, 
probably just do that in Excel, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm I'm very firmly of the opinion that Excel is programming. You know, even if you're not using Power Pivot or Power Query or VBA, mm -hmm. if you're just using basic Excel spreadsheets, that is programming. Hmm. And it's, I think, one of the most effective programming environments that the world has ever seen. There are a billion plus users of Excel that Microsoft likes to spout out it from time to time, yeah. even when they're making products to move people away from Excel, they're mm. still very proud of how widely it is used. Mm. And it's a programming environment that a lot of people find approachable. Mm. Yeah. It's actually funny you mentioned Excel. I, I was, I've been writing a bit of documentation recently and also just general um, the usage of the tool. I, one of the things I would do in the past be like, yeah, it's like, don't, don't export to Excel, keep all the, the data in, in Power BI. Get like myself quite worked up when people ask the question, how to get that to Excel. And I just stopped actually caring because actually, actually, you know what? The functionality is really good. If you want to connect to the, I've created this report here. Yeah, great. Use it. If you want to connect to the data set, do so. That's fine. If you need just a one big, huge table, sometimes I'm like, do you even, why are you doing it in Power BI? Mm -hmm. Like if, if you, if you just want one massive table, you're in the wrong place here. You, you know that, right? <laughs> so it's nice to have the conversation to say, okay, are you sure that's what you want? Maybe we can try this. Like really push back against their requirements and then you find like a good fit. But generally to have this this option of just saying, you know, that's also possible in, in Excel. And just because Power BI is, you know, the new, not new, but, you know, newer kind of more like cooler tool where people want all this stuff. It's like, it's okay. To, it's okay to still use Excel. You understand that, right? No one's going to give you like, five negative five marks for not using <laughs> this tool this tool i don't know yeah you need to you need to earn all of those uh trendy business points absolutely yeah exactly yeah, and, and uh, i i think the the thing to keep in mind is you know excel is at its core a spreadsheet it is a program for operating on spreadsheets and spreadsheets are a specific type of thing hmm. power bi is not a spreadsheet program <laughs> and so if you need a spreadsheet, and it can be difficult to de determine what you need, but if you determine that you need a spreadsheet, Excel is the correct tool for the job. Hmm. There is nothing better at spreadsheeting than Excel. Other than Lotus 1, 2, 3, of course. Well, <laughs> I, Lotus 1, 2, 3 is the source of one of my favorite pieces of DAX trivia. Okay. Yeah, so the zero date in DAX. So you can, you can treat dates as integers, you can add mm -hmm an integer to a date and it will add that number of days to it. So you could say, you know, July 27th, 2023 mm. plus two will give you July 29th mm. of 2023. And if you go all the way back to zero, the date that is zero is the 30th of December in 1899, mm -hmm. which is interesting because that is not the last date okay. of 1899. The last date is the 31st. Fair point. And so, <laughs> You would typically expect that the first date in some calendar is going to mm -hmm. be zero or one, mm -hmm. depending on where you fall on if indexes should start at zero or one for different things. But you might think that the first date would be January 1st, 1900. That would make sense. <laughs> and the reason that, and that is the case in Excel. And the reason that mm -hmm. DAX needs to start a little bit sooner. Mm. is because Lotus 1.2.3 had a leap day bug. And Lotus 1.2.3 said that uh, February, that 1900 was a, a leap year because they had a very simple test for is the year divisible by four. And 
the hundreds are not leap years unless it's also divisible by 400. So 2000 was a leap year and 1900 was not, 1800 was not, and so on. That's awesome. So Lotus 123 incorrectly called 1900 a leap year. And so it had February 29th. And if you look at these serial dates, February 29th was then the 59th day of the year. Excel copied that bug because <laughs> Lotus 123 was the big, mm. big spreadsheet in the house. Mm. And Excel needed to be able to interoperate with Lotus 123's format. Mm -hmm. And so Excel copied that bug so that Excel will also treat February 29th, 1900 as day 59 of the year, even though it's not existent. And then after 19, after March, 1900, everything's good because all of the leap years are correct up through 2000 mm. and beyond. Now, DAX came along in 2010, 11 ish. Mm. I don't know when the first development of it was, but you know, uh, a century after this 1900 bug and 20, 25 years after Lotus wrote the bug, mm. but DAX comes along and it's going to be this language that works in Excel and mm. you need to interoperate between DAX values and Excel spreadsheets and make all of that work well. So DAX does not think that 1900 is a leap year. And so your serial dates do not align before March of 1900. That's cool. But then after March of 1900, because DAX starts mm. one day before, it mm. gets that one extra day because its zero date is pushed back to the 30th of December. And so no, you, it gains a day so that after March, all of the mm. serial dates line up. So if you're doing some detailed sales analysis or, you know, uh, that's demographics analysis that includes data back into 1900, you could have some trouble in power or in DAX and in Excel formulas. That's really that's my cool. Favorite piece of trivia. That's amazing trivia. I love that. I love it. That's just that's like released a full nerd in me. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love so it. Lotus One Two Three was a design inspiration for Tabular and Power PI. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I, I hope at some point that comes up so I can just like reel that off and be like, oh, I know that like so randomly, you know, <laughs> I love, I love that. And of course, when you do that, you have to say it like you've always known, like, oh, how do you oh, yeah. know that? Yeah. Amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> um, there's a question. I like uh, the questions in the chat, by the way, because people, oh, tend yeah, to, absolutely. they tend to ask questions that I could never think of and they're much better questions. So I'm just going to go for it. That's okay. Um, so 10 years of DAX, exactly. Where do you see, where do you want to see Power BI go in the next two or three years? So that's a, a tough question. There's a lot, it, there's a lot churning right now uh, with Fabric and all of the changes there, but I'm very lucky to not have an MVP award. So I have no NDA with Microsoft and I can speculate wildly and uh, can't possibly get in trouble with that. <laughs> Love it. So I see that there are a couple of big challenges in the Power BI world. A lot of them on the back end, so ETL side of things, seem to be addressed with Fabric. Uh, Microsoft seems to be making the play where the entire data warehouse can exist in Fabric, which is this idea of workspaces and per workspace permissions and artifacts that live in that workspace, similar to how Power BI has been, but expanded to include the data lake and expanded to include uh, you know, data flows Gen 2 and pipelines and notebooks. So that seems to address a lot of the challenges on the, the back end. Hmm of the Power BI world. But one of the challenges that remains is visualizing data. And the built-in viz are getting some great overhauls and becoming really cool with mm. some of the stuff Miguel has been doing. I don't know if you've seen any of his demos for 
the vision of new viz i'm a uh, part of the, the group who does that i've got a call in like an hour and a half about it so yeah <laughs> okay yeah so i have nothing to tell you there but one of the challenges that i see is viz in power bi no matter how good they look are incredibly dumb <laughs> so a power bi viz knows how to do exactly one thing hmm. it knows how to craft a dax query Mm. That's that's the only intelligent thing a viz knows how to do. And then depending on which viz it is, it will show the results of that DAX query in different ways. Mm -hmm. And the ways that it will show that data are configurable. Mm -hmm. And so we've got ways to configure, you know, if we want labels on a column, what colors we want the column to be, uh, if we want to do like gradients, stuff like that. But it's all configuration. None of that is programmatic. We do offer the outlet of measure-driven attributes as mm -hmm some level of programmaticity, which is not a word, but I think that's how you would combine the, we can the pretend it's a word, yeah. fine, yeah. Uh, and so we can have measures that do things, but that I think is useful, but I think it's limiting. And it's also, uh, it highly couples reports to the data model. If mm -hmm. a measure is the thing that understands how the visual should be rendered, then mm. that means that the data model, this mm. thing that encapsulates business logic and holds data, also needs to know exactly how that information is going to be presented and displayed. And so you've got something that should be two distinct layers. You have a database in mm. the model, and you have a rendering engine in the report layer. Mm. And those things should be relatively independent. You should be able to hook up the reporting to a different model. You should be able to hook up the uh, model to different reporting. So other mm. client tools can read from the tabular mm. model. You could put Tableau in front of tabular if you want. Mm. Um, but by having measures drive behavior, you're saying that this model is specific, not just mm. to this business domain, but specific to this presentation of the data. Yeah. And mm. if you want to change how the data is presented, not just change how it's aggregated, but if you want to change how it's presented, you have to change the model. And mm. so you have to change this in two places and you have to coordinate what measure driven attributes I want to set and what measures those depend on. So this I think is the really big challenge because things that are measure driven imply that very tight coupling between the model and the report. Mm. And I think there is a lot of behavior that people want in reports that goes beyond what can be done as part of a query. So mm. measure-driven configuration is still configuration. It's more dynamic, but mm. it's not behavior. It is presentation of data. It's just tightly coupled presentation and modeling of data. Mm. And people want to build these app-like experiences in Power BI. And we want to build navigation and we want things that are dynamic in mm. response to the results of data. And DAX is getting more powerful. It's got window functions that allow you to operate on an intermediate result set in mm. a way that we couldn't really do before, or at least we can re represent that computation a lot more efficiently. But it's still a query time thing. We've got a query that returns some data and mm. then we want to behave based on that data. And there's no way to have behavior in a Power BI report. So that's the limitation that I see. And I hesitate to suggest what we should do because the only thing I can think of is that there needs to be a scripting language that sits at the report layer. Hmm. And there, there is, you can write JavaScript in a custom yeah. visual, but that's, that's not a user-friendly hmm. way to present behavior to hmm. report authors. And so the 
the challenge is we don't have a way to really have behavior in reports. We only have ways for presenting data. And that presentation can be somewhat dynamic, but we can't implement behavior on top of the presentation. <laughs> and so I think eventually there, there comes a need for some sort of scripting layer. And if you look at SSRS or paginated reports, you have that scripting layer. It's mm. VBScript in the reporting layer. So you can run a query and you can do all sorts of stuff in that query. But then you can do things at the report layer separately from the query. And I think that's always going to be a limitation for Power BI, or at least mm. I can conceive of, of no solution to that limitation. So what I would love to see is someone smarter than I am come up with something that allows us to put behaviors into Power BI rather than dynamic configuration. And I hope I've explained what I mean is as the difference between those things, because a lot of the time I talk to people uh, even some of the product team members, I'll mention that. And they say, no, no, we've got measures to drive attributes. Mm. And I think behavior is a very different thing. So that's the challenge. And that's also what I'd like to, to see improve. I'd like to see Power BI become more capable from a behavior perspective, because that's also a limitation compared to things like Tableau, or heck, mm. even to the ancient reporting services that is now paginated reports. You can use mm. VBScript and make it behave in different ways. Yeah. Wow. That is interesting for sure. I mean, Bernard is excited for sure. Um, it sounds awesome. Um, a big ask for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I couldn't express it quite as eloquently as you did, um, but it makes a lot of sense. And the, the, uh, the limitation, I think, sometimes. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, what's being done from the the visual perspective, as in, as in, say, changing how things look. That for me it does just kind of like scratch the surface of mm -hmm. of that further of that further need. So yeah, wow, that would be. But I think that's it, and it, rather than one or two. Yeah, sorry, you said was it two to three years? Maybe two to three years. Maybe maybe it's closer to three to five. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, let's. Uh, I, I've got another answer that would be achievable in two to three years. Oh, right. you could, you know, so, you've got so many answers. I'm so impressed. Yeah, can, I, can I take a second try? Yeah, that would, I mean, the first try was fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but you're, you're welcome to have a second crack at it. No worries. So the other big thing on my mind uh, is observability and operational concerns for Power BI. And okay. we have the APIs, yeah. and they are woefully incomplete in many different ways yeah. and very underdocumented and wrongly documented in some cases. And I, I try to raise PRs whenever I can for things that are simply incorrect in the API docs. But with organizations investing more and more in Power BI, even uh, you know a mid-size enterprise, not a mid-size company, but like a mid-size enterprise could be spending close to $100,000 a month on Power BI with just a handful of capacities, mm. uh, a bunch of author licenses. And you can quickly get close to that 100,000 mark. Mm. And so if you're spending more than a million dollars a year on some product. And you should be able to see what's going on in that product. And this is something that I'm working on both in terms of my own company, Argus PBI, but also something that has been a concern and a growing concern for a long time for me. And something that I think is still not really well addressed uh, by what we get from the Power BI APIs, what we get from the built-in tooling. So there are things like um, data set refreshes. Yes. An admin can see data set refreshes for 
data sets that exist on a capacity without needing any specific permission. Hmm. So there's an administrative API to see the single most recent refresh for every data set that is on a capacity, but you can't see history hmm. via the APIs, yeah. at least at an admin level. There is a user level permission. So if you are authenticated as a user, you can see the permission or you can see the refreshes for every single data set in workspaces that you belong to, yeah. which is you know, great for people who only belong to some workspaces. But if you yeah. want a holistic view of every refresh in your tenant, you either need to go through some gyrations yeah. and add a service account to every single yeah. workspace yeah. so that you can pull that history. Mm. If you're only using capacities, you can sort of get there. And this is something that we do. Um, you can pull the endpoint for most recent refresh for all data sets on a capacity mm. as often as you want. There are no documented limits to that API, although I'm sure I'm going to find it eventually. So we, can, <laughs> so we hit that um, as part of the Argus product. We hit that API every uh, 10 minutes right now. Oh, wow. Okay. And so very few people are going to be refreshing more often than 10 minutes. If you schedule through the GUI, you can only get to every 30 minutes anyway. Yeah, exactly. And so if we just bang on that API as much as possible, we can build up a view that should include most refreshes on capacities as an admin. Hmm. And it, it's this sort of thing where... Hmm. It, it's certainly feasible to give refresh history visibility to admins because they already do it. Yeah. The admin API exists, but we can't get all of that refresh history. Mm. So you either go through gyrations or you have to mm. um, hammer that API, both of which I don't think Microsoft wants. And that's just one example of many. So I'd love to see better admin APIs specifically mm. for whole tenant monitoring and also better, more rich APIs in general, yeah. because there's a lot that you want to monitor and you want to do programmatically that you can't today, or at least not easily. That's probably going to be a very popular response. I think there's a lot of kind of um, discontentness. That's not a word. There's a lot yeah, of discontent. Is. There are people who are discontent basically with the, with the, the functionality of the APIs. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I only pretty recently got into really exploring them in any level of depth mm -hmm. to, the, to the point that I actually didn't realize that... Um, when you use the, um, the, the the APIs and it less allows you to test them, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that actually when it tests them, it actually does the thing to it. Like, and I mean delete. Like, if you it says mm -hmm. like d delete this 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 data set, test it here. It's not a test. It will actually delete that the, that data set. <laughs> that, that's yeah. not a test. That's Correct. that's a, you you could maybe word that differently. Like 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 do this here rather than <laughs> test it. It's like that's really dangerous because it's so easy for someone to go. Oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna test it here and I'll, I'm just gonna click this. And I understand like if you're testing something, you shouldn't start with a delete. But mm -hmm. you could understand why that mistake would be made. Absolutely, and I think that also highlights another big operational concern that Power BI does not address is mm -hmm. the idea of disaster recovery. So Microsoft. Yep operates Power BI as a software as a service. Mm. So a lot of people think, OK, that means Microsoft handles all of this. Mm. And Microsoft handles high availability for us. They'll make mm. sure that if some Azure VM goes down that is hosting Power BI stuff, that something else is spun up and your content continues to be served. Mm. And there might be a hiccup in there, but that's to be expected with you know, distributed systems. Mm. But if you accidentally delete something like that, there's no backup in Power BI. There's no history of artifacts that have been deployed. Yeah. And this is distinct from That's version huge, control. Yeah. Um, because disaster recovery isn't about being able to deploy again. It's about being able to 
go back to a point in time and make the system as it was. And if you've got version control, you can deploy and refresh again, but that refresh may not reflect the state of the world. Hmm. Data could have been deleted in a source system or something could have moved underneath it. So the idea of being able to do backup and restore is not really there. And I know um, uh, James Bartlett was working on a script recently to do backup of all of his data sets. And this is another thing where the APIs are just mm. woefully incapable. Yeah. Uh, some, some data sets and some reports cannot be downloaded by the API. Oh, okay. And he found a workaround where he essentially publishes a dummy, mm -hmm. uh, a dummy report, binds that to the data set, and then unbinds the other report. And it's, I, I don't remember the exact sequence of events. That's so he has to put, he has to put something in there that he does not care about. He has to rebind things in a specific order, and then he can download the pieces that he wants. Mm. All of that just to download a thing that exists, mm. and Microsoft, for whatever reason, has limitations in the API. And I'm sure there are good reasons for why those limitations mm. did exist at one point, or maybe those reasons remain. Mm. But something as simple as downloading the file mm. shouldn't be difficult and shouldn't require orchestrating a complex and yeah. unintuitive stream of API calls. This is the sort of thing Good that call. we should be able to do. Absolutely. When, when you were saying that, actually, I also thought that Microsoft, for whatever reason, would be a great name for like a blog or a podcast, Microsoft, for whatever reason, and then just talk about <laughs> this sort of thing. I would talk oh. to that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, Anthony, by the way, bear, uh, beware of Ben testing APIs. Absolutely true. Be very scared of that. This is I, I've mentioned before when when I just when I discovered the word format when I was a child and I I, would, I tested formatting on my favorite games to see if it would make them better. So definitely beware <laughs> of me testing stuff when it because I I've, I'm like yeah I'll, I'll just do it to see what happens. Um, I also discovered discovered again that's just um, report usage metrics. You know, mm -hmm. those data sets I didn't realize actually don't belong to the user. Those are Microsoft right. data sets, so we don't have access to them. Mm -hmm. I, this is things that never occurred because I've always used, of course, the metrics and I've done it. You, you copy the report across and you save it and you'd make all your changes as you do. But recently discovered that data doesn't belong to us. That's Microsoft data. It's like, that's that's not true. That can't be your data. That truly, it has to be, we have to have access to that data set. So mm -hmm. there, if there's somehow a workaround to get that, I would love to hear it as well, by the way, because I, I, I would love it as well. Um, we've built our own uh, usage reporting and monitoring, yeah. although it's, it's interesting that you bring up the the usage reporting, and I promise I'm not just trying to use this to to shill for the work that I'm doing, but <laughs> I've been looking at the uh, the updated admin portal for Power mm -hmm. BI, mm -hmm. uh, where you get the feature adoption report or whatever it is they're calling the new usage monitoring. Uh, and the Purview Hub stuff is that what you're talking about? It, um, no, it's uh, it's in the admin portal within Power BI. Okay, natively. Um, the reports that they have though include more than just report views. Mm -hmm. It includes other activities in Power BI. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is intentional, but they don't include all activities. Mm -hmm. So there are categories of activity in Power BI, uh, activity types that simply don't get reported through the admin portal, but are exist in the, the API for uh, usage audit, for the audit log usage yeah. metrics. Uh, so you can, you can get to that if you call the API. Yeah. yeah. And you can present that into a report if you call the API and if you store that history. Hmm. But Microsoft won't show you all of those things necessarily. Yeah. I actually, I had, um, 
yes, sorry, just bring up this um, by someone said that they don't like the new monitoring hub. Yeah, it's okay. I'm not <laughs> a fan of it either. Um, I had a, actually a call today with a, a, someone from Microsoft. Had, we had a ticket open. Very helpful person. Really appreciated all the all the, the information he gave me. Um, but also the the the, the new um, monitoring hub. That was one of the things we were looking at. And it's it seems unnecessary. I know it's in preview. I get that. But it seems like unnecessarily restrictive. You know, it's like, give me more. There must be. And if, if you don't give me by default, let me just like click on edit and just bring all the stuff that I need because it's very general. And I don't mm-hmm. really think it offers anything of any great use, to be honest. It's it's. And no, also on that one, and also you can't starting you, point. Yeah, you and you, you can't save it as well. You can't save it as, as your own and make mm-hmm. your own version of it. It's very so. I know it's preview. It'll probably get probably get better, um, but um, we'll, we'll we'll see. One second, yeah. my my son's just walking through the door. So if a small person like comes here <laughs> in the screen, it's in. One second, I have to mute myself. I apologize. No worries. Just looking through the chat down here, I see a question from uh, Donald. If I use Power BI to manage the goats, so I saw that. Thank you for bringing that. I was, um, I was. Thank you. What's what's that about? <laughs> so I, I own and operate a very small farm. In addition to complaining about Power BI professionally. Okay, we're now done about talking about Power BI. It's all about the farm. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got. Uh, couple over 20 goats. I've got five new kids this year and a few yearlings. I've got awesome. chickens. The number of chickens fluctuates a lot because we free range them and have natural predators. So that okay. number goes up and down. I've got uh, two dozen chicks actually downstairs from me right now in my workshop under a heat lamp because we just got them Saturday. That's and then so we've got awesome. a bunch outside. I've got six or seven acres of Christmas trees. We planted 400 new ones this year. We've got a small berry patch that we planted this year and need to do something about birds because while we have a berry patch, we have almost no berries. We've got uh, probably 10 square meters of corn. We've got uh, a dozen tomato plants. This is so cool. So yeah. w- w- did this start with like, you know, let's just get a goat and see what happens and like, turn into a farm or was it a conscious decision to like move onto a farm or I've honestly, I've got like a thousand questions right now. And yeah. I, honestly, Greg, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit angry that you didn't open with this. This is, I mean, actually, it's probably actually a good thing that you didn't. Otherwise, we just spent 45 <laughs> minutes just talking about the farm, to be honest. So actually, I rescind that comment. Um, yes. <laughs> so a little bit of both. It was a little bit intentional. It was a little bit happenstance. Hmm. It, the intention was to move to, next door to my sister. Okay. So my entire adult life can be summarized from one perspective as realizing how important family and community is to me and finding my way closer and closer to family. Nice. So one of my first jobs, I moved to Minnesota, uh, which is over a thousand miles away from upstate New York, where all of my family was. Or over 1600 kilometers. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And then I I moved to Philadelphia, which was only a couple hundred miles or, you know, a few more hundred kilometers away. And then my sister moved to New Jersey, which was only about an hour uh, away or uh, 3.6 kiloseconds for those who prefer metric (laughs) uh, away from where I lived in Philly. And so I slowly stepped closer and closer. And then she moved in 2020 to this beautiful house that's going to be their forever home. Mm. And the next door neighbor 
instantly became friends with my brother-in-law mm. and told my brother-in-law that he was thinking of moving in a couple of years. And my brother-in-law, without asking me, told his neighbor, don't put it on the market, just tell us. My brother-in-law, aka me, Greg, will buy it from you wow. without asking me. That's awesome. <laughs> and he was, he was right. <laughs> he, he was correct in that I wanted to buy it as soon as I knew it was available. So the goal Amazing. was to move next door to family. And mm -hmm. so now I've got my nieces and nephew right next door, my sister and my brother-in-law. His parents are five minutes down the road. I love that. And the, the property happened to be a working farm with Christmas trees and goats. And the goats came, when you bought the place, the goats came with the place basically. Yes. Right? Yeah. Cool. So I, if it weren't a farm, I still would have bought it, Yeah. but it is a farm and we're very happy about that. How is this not a Netflix show? How, how is your, like, I would watch this show, basically, the, the data analyst per stroke. Actually, not like a reality show, kind of more like one of those, like, sitcoms where, like, someone <laughs> moves to the countryside and they have to deal with all this the stuff, well, you know? I, I think it. we would compete probably a little bit too much with Clarkson's Farm. <laughs> Fair enough. The, Clarkson's, the problem with Clarkson's Farm is the fact that um, Jeremy Clarkson is a fantastic presenter, but a horrific human. And there's, mm -hmm. a, there's, there's always a thing. And I think, I mean, I don't even know you that well, but you don't sound like a horrific human. So I think yours would, would be certainly more watchable. You know what I mean? You'd have, <laughs> I, I could, I, I could watch it without saying, no, nah, this, this is fun, but I, but I hate that guy. And yours, I just like, I just watch and enjoy, which, which yeah. is a nicer experience for sure. Well, you know, when I, when I find some free time, maybe I'll, I'll talk to a producer. Do it, do it. <laughs> you, you can guarantee you, you, you get, you know, a fair few. I, I would, I would, I would like binge watch it many times just to ensure oh, yeah. that you got a second series as well. You know, I, so I appreciate that because like, you know that is the the worst part of most Netflix shows that I've found myself enjoying recently is the the one season and done. Yeah, hate it. That's, that's but do you? How much time do you have to do that when you're running? I mean, how much effort is like is like not running? I was going to say running goats. You don't run goats. Keeping goats. So and I keep them alive. Is that I have to emphasize uh, once again that I live directly next door to my family, and they. Ah, okay. So my brother-in-law does the morning chores most days, and mm. I'll do the evening chores. But if either of us leaves town, that means the other person's doing all of it. It's a half hour to an hour in the morning, and a half hour to an hour in the evening most days, mm. plus occasional full days on the weekends to cool. do bigger things. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, full-time work and also consulting. So yeah, I think sure. a TV show would fit in very well. Definitely. It would. Do it on Sundays. Do I not pay enough attention or like to your social media or do you not post photographs of these things? Because I would love, this is like, I would be all over that. I love oh, this. Oh, we're, we're on Instagram as Black Cat Acres. And I do not recall if we have underscores or not between the words. And my sister's in charge of that. And you can definitely see goats there. I will. Black Cat Acres, right? Yes. Black Cat Acres, everyone. Go and follow it. Amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. Sorry, I'm I'm just like. I'm, yeah. are, are there any are there any chances of getting any pigs? Because like pigs are like my favorite. I'll be honest. I love some pigs. I think the next animals would most likely be bees. Oh yeah, that makes be sense. Before other livestock. Yeah. We did do turkeys last year as well. Uh, we raised three. We ate two of them for Thanksgiving, and those two between the two of them weighed fifty pounds, or uh, over twenty kilograms. Oh wow! What? Yeah. That is a lot of turkey, man. We, we cooked a lot of turkey. We had 18 people at Thanksgiving, but oh, we still okay. had way too much turkey. Yeah. They grow you... really big if you feed them a lot, is what we learned. Yeah. I, I, I get that impression, for sure. Do, how, do, you, do you have any data on your animals that you can analyze in Power BI to, to merge your two worlds together? 
like farm data that you can, is that a thing? I, farm data? So actually the connected farm has been a really big deal in, uh, in larger, like more commercial agricultural spaces. Okay. So doing things like monitoring soil real time, hmm. uh, doing things like, uh, you know, GPS guided planting, that's very big. So you don't even drive the tractor, really. You sit in it and the GPS guides it down a perfect planting line and then brings it back. Stuff like that is actually a huge industry, uh, especially with major commercial farms in the US. And I have none of that. I think the most important <laughs> things for me, I would like something that can automatically turn on a water spigot when the bucket of water is low for the goats and something that can automatically open and close the chicken's coop door. The, those would be uh, the pieces of technology that would help the most. That's and I would certainly track that uh, data, but I, I think the two rows of data for coop door open and coop door <laughs> closed per day might not merit a solution like Power BI. Well, that's, you, you could use a pie chart. It's only two categories, so it's fine, right? <laughs> well, I, hopefully, the, the pie chart would be indicative there because ideally, the pie chart is always a vertical line down the center, half open, <laughs> half closed. <laughs> if that pie chart looks anything different than a vertical line down the center, <laughs> how did it open five times in a row is a good question. Just means like check sensor. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. That's cool. Wow. I didn't expect the conversation to go in that yeah. direction, but so that's I, the best thing about these live chats, man. I can also, I can bring the conversation back around to data if you want, and hopefully give a, a more philosophical uh, piece of guidance to people on yeah, data go projects. For it. Go for it, go so one of the big things that has happened in this connected farm hmm. uh, movement or push is that some of the sensors and some of the data that people collect ends up being interesting for a year and then almost never useful again. Mm, okay. So if you spend your day outside on a farm, mm. you're very intimately aware of what the weather is like, what the soil condition is like. Mm. If you are spending your career farming, you get to know the ins and outs of farming. You get to know the operational concerns of mm. growing things, raising things and harvesting them. And so what has happened in a lot of instances where they have deployed massive amounts of sensors to farms is that they sometimes would learn things in the first year or two. Mm. Sometimes they would just confirm what they already knew. Mm. And then after that, the data that is just, you know, streaming off of these sensors in huge amounts is not so useful. Either you're doing things pretty well and you confirm it and there's mm. value in confirming that you're doing things correctly, or you're doing something wrong and the data can help you correct it. But then once you're doing the correct thing again, you mm. don't really need by the minute soil snapshots. Mm. You need to know that my soil drains water at a certain rate. And so if I got two inches of rain or you know mm. four and a half centimeters of rain last mm. month, then I'm good. But if I got less than those two inches, I'll need to supplement with irrigation. That knowledge, that understanding doesn't change. So I don't need a sensor to tell me that the soil is dry. I just need to know that it rained last month or not. And then I can water appropriately and similar. Uh, mm. Or So you end up with this situation where you've made this huge capital outlay and you've got all of this monitoring infrastructure that you really only needed short term or once. Mm. And so I've, I can, I've seen that happen in analytics projects as well. Something that should be an ad hoc analysis turns into a productionized report yeah. that then demands support and maintenance, but ceases to provide significant value after the first learning is done. Yeah. And I think we 
in I see this a lot in myself. I and I also see this a lot in at least some of my peers of wanting to build everything as a hugely production ready solution. Mm. And sometimes we want hugely production ready, uh, ready for any scale of users, ready for you know 10x or 100x the volume of data. And we want to build those really robust solutions because they're interesting to build and they're hard. And it's mm. a fun challenge to build something big. Mm. But if we need an ad hoc analysis mm. and we build a fully production ready, distributed and scalable solution, what we've actually done is a disservice to our customer, whether that's internal or whether that is uh, a consulting client, because we've spent a lot of time and money to do something that could have been ad hoc. And the the saying that sums this up the best for me is not my own, but I, I love it. And it is that half-assed is fine as long as you use the right half of the ass. <laughs> And so if you've got a, an ad hoc problem, an ad hoc solution is good. Yeah. I like that. That's a solid point. Yeah, you're, you're really hitting the solid points now. Like, um, yeah, true. Very good point. Um, and so that's how goats inform my Power BI practice. I like it. Wow. That is farm-inspired Power BI practice. It's <laughs> something that I wasn't expecting. Um, but I'm very appreciative. Appreciate. I can't say appreciative. Whatever. Yeah, you get my point. I'm very yes, happy. You, I'm very happy that I heard it, basically. I appreciate you too, Ben. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Wow. Yeah, good point, though. Also, I mean, not the worst thing, but something that frustrates me is the the frequency uh, that you'll see of just, which comes from, I guess, that's part of the problem that you just mentioned is full-scale reports that are used and then sit there and then just sit there forever. And then mm -hmm. you see data sets that haven't been refreshed since like 2018. Mm -hmm. um, because that is oh not... well, I've got a question for you. How yeah. do you see that? Hmm? How do you see that? How do you uh, find that data set? How do I find the data set? Um, well, the quick and dirty solution is do a quick analysis <laughs> of all the workspaces that have most reports and then have a look inside that workspace and go, there you go. <laughs> Don't, uh, it's really just, I've just been, been looking through some stuff and say, okay, this workspace has that number of reports. Let's, let's just, if we want to clean stuff up, let, let's just start there, you know, and it'll mm -hmm. basically say last refresh 2018. So not, not in any sort of beautiful way. I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy to report mate. There you go. <laughs> oh no. And that wasn't intended to be ad hominem against you. That is, oh. uh, that is really against Microsoft yeah. that they don't offer the tooling to be able to do this sort of large scale operation. Yeah. So I know I'm probably beating that drum a little bit too much, but that's, no. it's something I've been, like I said, thinking about and working on quite a bit recently. It is and, very, and very, years. honestly, it's very welcome to hear because sometimes, um, I mean, really, this is very much what I've been doing the past few weeks, like looking at all, all these, like the, the APIs and all the admin um, mm -hmm. steps. And because I'm, I mean, I have some experience doing it, but not in the depth and how in depth I've been doing it now. I mean, think, okay, do I have to learn? Is, what do I, what am I missing? What, what do I have to learn? So to hear other people's frustrations with it, uh, again, in the in the call with the with the um, the guy I was speaking to recently, I was like, the it's like the things that I'm requesting though, they they can't be. That's not an unusual request to need to see this, right? I mean, mm -hmm. surely this is asked for quite often, and um, it's 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 quite basic. You know, yeah. it's not like we're asking for anything that's like major, like, you know, I want a list of, you know, all the reports and all the workspaces, who uses them, how often they're used, how often they're refreshed. And I just want it to be easy, you know, mm -hmm. and that to me is, 
especially if you especially because you're talking about a tool that is basically a data reporting tool and you know the data is there mm-hmm. you know it should yeah. be like click microsoft logs pretty much everything we need yeah and the apis actually i've complained about them they do give the most of the information that you want sometimes with gyrations that you don't want to do yeah uh, but who knows maybe some people are better dancers than i am <laughs> But the presentation and the, making it actionable, that really is hmm. the thing where, I mean, that's what I work on every day now. Hmm. So exactly what you just asked is exactly what I'm uh, going to be working on tomorrow hmm. is the list of reports by last use date and frequency of usage yeah. across yeah. the tenant. Yeah. It's so standard. It's so it's yeah. so fair just to, just to have that. So um, yeah, it's quite interesting that the number of times I have these conversations and something very relevant. Rel- very hard to speak today. Very relevant to like the past weeks, um, like tasks just kind of like pop up. It's like okay, that, that, that's that's quite. And I don't mm-hmm. guide them there myself. It was all just yeah. Well, I think it's, it's quite cool. It's nice to know sometimes that we're not alone. Yeah, share the pain. And it, even though there is no single solution yet for a lot of these things, that mm-hmm. other people are also sharing Indeed. that struggle. And Indeed. this is one thing I'm excited about is that mm-hmm. we will find better ways of operating Power BI as we move forward. Yeah, yeah. It is an incredibly young product. Yeah. And the what a mature Power BI solution and deployment looks like across an enterprise over the course of years is something that we're just starting to learn. Hmm. Because even the most mature enterprises on Power BI only have year, a few years of experience. Not even yeah. No one has a decade of operating Power BI, even hmm. if you do get to have a decade of DAX. Hmm. No one's operated Power BI for that long because yeah. it has not been a product. So you yeah. can't have operated it. And so we're we're learning what it means to do Power BI correctly at any scale. Hmm. And so that's very exciting to me. Sure. And also just to kind of, as we get towards the end now, to on a, on a more positive, what's been released recently where you've been like, that's cool. I love that. What's the most exciting thing that you've seen recently pop up? So I'm really interested in the technology of Direct Lake. That's really okay. cool to me. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've spent most of my career optimizing DAX and tabular models. Mm. Um, I've been in the internals for far too long. My brain is warped, and I can think in DAX more clearly than in English sometimes, which is <laughs> wow. not something I would necessarily recommend to others. Uh, I would, but, I'm a bit jealous. That sounds cool, but okay. <laughs> but the there haven't really been a lot of innovations in tabular. Mm. Uh, there have been some innovations in the DAX language. We got variables, you know, back in 16 or 17, I think, mm. whenever that happened. Uh, we, we're getting the window functions now, which allow us to express ideas much more concisely. And as they're enhanced, allow us to express some new things that we couldn't express before with table expressions. Mm. So that's cool. But for the most part, Vertipak came into the world in 2010, 11, uh, whenever they first started, uh, leaking Project Gemini. And it hasn't really changed that much. Hmm. It's this incredible compression technology, importing uh, importing inf- the data into that, compressing it, and then giving ac- access uh, via this very efficient column store engine. All very, very cool. But also, uh, you know, there hasn't been a lot of innovation in the engine technology. And so seeing Direct Lake is just incredibly cool to me from a tech perspective. Yeah. It's super nerdy. It's It will change some things about how end users perceive Power BI because it addresses refresh latency and refresh uh, 
throughput, hmm. which is cool. But for me, it's just the underlying technology uh, is that's the most excited, exciting thing I've seen in a long time. And Bernat's yelling at me in the chat about field yeah, the field parameters. parameters yeah, those, yeah, yeah. those don't really let us say too much new. Uh, they just let us say it more concisely. Mm. I, I like field problem. I think it's the, the kind of like a, a gateway drug to kind of like calculation groups and all that, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, the one thing that annoys me about first, and I, I'm not intentionally being negative here. I do love field prominence and they're really helpful. I don't like the editing experience and that you create them in a really nice way, but you have to edit them. There's no like wizard for editing. You just have mm -hmm. to like do that manually. I wish that would that could be fixed. Apparently, I think someone, I saw this on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago. Someone asked why, why it is that way. And someone just said they built them and then they just like moved the resources because they mm -hmm. didn't have time. And I didn't f f think that was particularly valid excuse to say we're kind of it's kind of they say that you, you half created a product you know mm -hmm. well that's i mean that's what daniel's here for daniel lotick here with tabular editor yeah i mean i will always prefer to do it that way but <laughs> it's nice to have the option right there it's like the the, the light version you know of mm -hmm. field parameters um, so um, yeah right thank you i wanted to ask that that was gonna be the first question i was gonna um, ask but i forgot and so bennett thank you so much why do you have an upside down picture as profile pic. On Why not? <laughs> I love that. Uh, just, just cause, man. Yeah, just looking at the world a slightly different way. <laughs> oh, man, love it. There you go. I can live with that answer. I thought it was going to be something like really like like deep or ph philosophical about I'm not like calling for help or whatever, but no, just just cause. Yeah. I like it. Happy with that, Ben? There you go. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Uh, mate, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. I'm going to, wrapping up now because I need my my daughter came in before and she said she was she she couldn't sleep so I'm going to go and help my put my my, my daughter to sleep and she yeah. also came in before that as well and she 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 made me something so I'm going to unwrap my little they're going to Italy for two weeks soon so I mm -hmm. the with the kind of we're kind of getting ready to to not see them for two weeks so I shall go and say good night to her and what have you yeah absolutely yeah so Greg it's been a, Absolute pleasure. And the stuff about the farm, I'm still very excited about. And I'll probably just annoy <laughs> you with, with tweets, um, asking questions. I'm definitely going to follow on Instagram. I think actually Bernard posted the link before he did. Thank you, Bernard. You, you beat me to it. Um, lots of good fun. Everyone in the chat, great questions. Love having you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll be back. Not next week because... Um, I decided I was off last week because I was I was sick, wasn't feeling very, so I cancelled. And I plan to have next week free because I'm like having a, a, my family aren't here, and I'm gonna, just going to do nothing. It's nice sometimes just to do nothing. So I'll be back in in two weeks. And uh, yeah, bye everyone. Thank you so much. Bye all. Thanks for spending time with us. Exactly indeed. <laughs>